And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Then God said, let us make humans in our image after our own likeness. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of God. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior.
hijacked public schools and universities, and it's all coming to a boiling point. Now would be a good time to pray for God to intervene. If my people, Second Chronicles, reminds us, if my people which are called according to my name shall humble themselves and give up their wicked ways, then I shall hear their prayers. During recent protests and riots and mob violence, communities have been destroyed. Thousands have been injured. Over 200 businesses and many more lives have been lost forever. But these countless stories don't fit the media narrative. Historic statues are being defaced or torn down. Instructions were even sent out on how to topple monuments by our, our universities. The occupation of some of those facing felony charges across the country. Our school teachers. And no, the current chaos of division are not all the fault of government or education, but decades of groundwork has been laid, poisoning our generation. The United States is in the process of being fundamentally and radically transformed as socialism, Marxism has made such progress. Our great-great-grandparents once said it could never happen in America, but it had it, and it did, and we're now living with the consequences of surrendering the education of our children. The left says that we're an evil nation of systemic institutional racism. A certain campaign challenges since 1972, they think about this, it's, it's true. There's major institutions in America, including mainstream media and administrative governments, Hollywood and Big Tech. Surveys indicate students have been told that what to think, especially when it comes to politics and religion and history and morality. In a recent Mammoth University poll, 58% of respondents with four-year degree said rioting and vandalism are either fully or partially justified because of racism. Another poll showed 62% of young people are okay with looting. Looting. When asked what looting is, they did not really know what looting was, which is theft of someone else's property. Hardworking people's lives are being destroyed wherever there's a major protest. And then there's the utter destruction and rebellion. I wouldn't expect most people under 35 to know this, but Matthias Baldwin was a Christian and abolitionist that lobbied against slavery for three decades, for over 30 years. And ironically, Black Lives Matter professors tore down a statue of Baldwin in Philadelphia. A college professor at the University of Alabama actually provided online instructions on how to tear down monuments that allegedly promote nationalism. Sarah R.K. tweeted a detailed description of how to pull down a monument complete with a Black Lives Matter hashtag and advice to let gravity, let gravity work for us. Watch a copy and get out of the way. Father, this morning as we come, we come with a repentant heart.
you remind us in Second Chronicles that if my people, if my people don't give up their wicked ways and pray and, and in a very humble spirit, that God will hear, hear our prayers and heal our land. These things and others, Lord, we pray as you promise to pray to stand together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, we have special music, and I'd like Paul and Lee. Is Gary singing with you? Maybe. Lee Gross.
Our scripture today is taken from Genesis 13, verse 1 through 13. And the other scripture is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. So let's do Genesis 13, 1 through 13 first. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the whole Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zorah. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed, journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, while Lot dwelt among the cities in the valley, moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Abraham went out of Egypt. Oh, out of Egypt. This is a liberal statement. Don't let it pass you by. Abraham went down in Egypt. And you go back up home, it was a little uphill climb. But Palestine is where Abraham began his uninspired journey into Egypt from. Abraham returned to the promised land basically as a beginner when he went back. He came back to Bethel with his tent, with his tent and altar, returning to what he should have been doing the whole time, being obedient to God. In verse 5, we read that Lot was with Abram. Trouble must have been expected because Abram was told by God in Genesis 12:1 to leave Egypt and travel without any family to Canaan. Despite what God had said, he took Lot, his nephew. One of the no notable negative results of this was strife between Abram's and Lot's herdsmen. Despite this, 
they couldn't show the friction to the Canaanites. Because when the Canaanites would view the disagreement between the two men, they would say, well, what is the difference between these godly men and us? It's really interesting that verse 6, it says they could not dwell together peacefully because of their great riches and lifestyle. The main difference between these two men is that Abraham owned his possessions and the possessions owned Lot. Abram had a very generous and peaceful solution to this divide between the two. Despite God giving him all of the land, Abram told his genocide, told Lot to look at the land and take what he wanted. Lot said, I want everything east. So Abram said, well, I'll take the outside and take the west. It's not coincidental that the west portion of the land Lot chose happened to be the home of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram decided to make his home in Canaan, and Lot chose to pitch his tent there and call Sodom his home. Verse 13 gives us a clue as to why this decision was made by Lot. It says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You know, it really didn't matter to Abram which side of the land that God had given him was chosen by Lot. Because he knew that whichever side he ended up on, the Lord would be with him and supply his needs. Lot never considered things this way. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. There's one verse here. It's short and very simple. It says, Therefore, we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. It is absolutely imperative that we and all Christians not only listen to and obey the words, of God and the Bible, but apply them to their daily lives. In every situation they find themselves in, what they say and what they do, they have to give out and, and generate the lessons given in the Bible to them. 
key word here is drift away. To drift away from something is to let go. To release yourself from it. Not pay attention to it. If you dismiss, ignore, or forget the words of instruction given to all of us Christians in the Bible, you'll most assuredly drift further and further away from the meaning and lessons of the word. This little separation tends to do only one thing. It grows. Sin takes foothold. And sin gets in between you and your lessons you should know and live by. And he grows the distance between you and Father God through his word. Thank you. I have it right here. I couldn't find Kathy.
the beings are drifting. The Phillips translation of this verse is, we ought. We ought, therefore, to pay the greatest attention to the truth that we have heard and not allow ourselves to drift away from it. The Williams translation of this verse of scripture translates this warning in this way. This is why we pay and must pay closer attention to the message once heard to keep from drifting to one side. The New English Bible translation of this verse of scripture, Hebrews chapter 2, 1, reminds you and I, thus we are bound to pay all the more heed to what we have been told for fear of drifting, drifting from our course. Now the warning is to all of us, from pulpit to pew, a pastor can drift, and some have. Church leaders can drift, and some have. A husband and wife can drift apart, and some have. Young people can drift away through life, and some have. A church can drift along in comfortable complacency, without compassion in the hearts that compel it to engage in a crusade of concern and witnessing to the unsaved in the community in some hand. We've almost looked at the Great Commission as more like the Great Omission. A nation can drift away from the moral foundations and values that that made that nation truly great. And that, I fear, then the situation in our nation. We hear a lot about crooked crops. Certainly the minority. We hear about crooked politicians. Certainly we all the minority. We have to realize that it is easy to drift. This portion of scripture, some 2,000 and the other scripture some 6,000 years ago, talked about drifting in, in, in a family falling apart from distances. Some unknown poet wrote a verse which was printed and, and framed and a mother hung it upon the wall of her son's room, and the poem is called A Real Man. A Real, Real Man. And it warns against the peril of drifting. And the poem goes, it's easy to drift with the, when the current drift. Just lie in your boat and dream. But in nature's plan, it takes a real man to paddle the boat upstream. We should be concerned about our lives in drifting. That's why we worship. That's why we sing the historical hymns that anchor us in the 
foundations of our faith. All of us drift to some degree, and, and this is dangerous. We have a natural tendency, human nature, to follow the path of ease and, and comfort. Who amongst us have sent back the, the stimulant, stimulus checks? On all sides, we are encouraged to avoid the difficult. We like to follow the path which is natural and, and normal, least resistance. And most of us like to follow the crowd. Follow the crowd, and, and we are pressured by the crowd. We fail to recognize that the crowd, many times, is usually wrong on most of the vital issues that, that affect life. We have a natural tendency to look for the least expensive, the easiest, the most convenient way to do that which is truly important. We fail to realize that there, there are no shortcuts to success. The world, the flesh, and the devil continue to lead us astray. They would continue to encourage us to grin. Any dead fish can drift down a stream. And I remind you of that poem that it's easy to drift with the current swift, just lying in boat and dream. But in nature's plan, it takes a real man to paddle the boat upstream. Any dead fish can drift downstream. Why do we drift? Why do we drift? One could answer this question by saying the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we may be correct in, in one or more of the categories, but let's consider it from a more practical, practical standpoint. You and I, we have a built-in tendency to sin. We call it original sin. A built-in tendency to sin. We, we even born-again Christians, we tend to sin. And we thank God for Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, it points us out. And the conversion experience does not eliminate this built-in tendency to do that which is both contrary to the will of God and, and destructive to the highest values of human life. Satan continues to tempt us. To tempt us through promises, both of profit or pleasure. We need to recognize that we can be duped. We can dupe, be duped by the devil. And unless we recognize and take steps to prevent our falling into sin, it's certain that we will do so. A fear of falling into sin could nullify, nullify our Christian witness. One local nurse or funeral home that I work with quite frequently has called one particular minister quite frequently. And that minister that's called quite frequently to unchurched funerals and recently 
but real topple and gone to sin. And he's not any longer embraced by his congregation or his denomination or the funeral home. In the conversion experience, the Holy Spirit enters the heart of the believer to reproduce in one's mind and character the very mind and the very character of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the most challenging truths to be found in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of God's good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. The Holy Spirit cannot do His greatest work when, when His presence is ignored and when the presence of God, there is no conscious and deliberate cooperation on the part of the individual believer. Not to respond. Not to respond eagerly and continuously to the inward promptings of the Holy Spirit is to follow a course of drifting, drifting away from God's will and from God's way. Thirdly, neglecting the, the means of growth. Some have failed to recognize that the conversion experience produces a spiritual infant rather than one who is spiritually mature. And the new convert is a babe in Christ rather than a full-grown person in Christ. And to neglect the means of a spiritual growth can be most detrimental to the spiritual well-being of a new convert. The importance of, of weekly Bible study and, and Sunday school, a devotional study of, of the Word of God is the milk and the meat by which the child of God is to grow, according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3. And all of us, all of us, need that communion. That communion with the living Lord through prayer. Prayer is as necessary for the health of the soul as sunlight is for the health of the body. Fellowship with God's people in the church is as necessary for the growth of the soul as is the love of a family for the development of a child, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Fourthly, clinging to some known and, and secret sin. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9, that only a fool, only a fool will treat sin lightly and will not choose to remove that sin from their life. Sin is that which is destructive. It is to the soul which infection is to the body and to the blood streams. For a believer to tolerate known sin in one's life is to encourage spiritual bad health and spiritual suicide. Unless, unless there is a forsaking of the sin, whether it be in the realm of omission, or commission or disposition is to surely drift. Is to surely drift. Why do you drift? 
Why do you and I grip? Are we letting the poor, are we letting the poor example of some older brother or sister in Christ cause us to drift away from the Lord who gave his life to you upon the cross? I heard Billy Graham say many a time, he said, don't put your eyes on me, but put your eyes upon the Word of God, upon the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. When we drift away from the Lord, He gave His life for us upon the cross. Have you let some trouble, or have you let some sorrow, or, or, or have you let some disappointment cause you to drift away from the Christ and said, Come unto me, come unto me, and I will give you rest? One can sympathize with a young widow and a mother who felt bitter because of the sudden death of her husband. But for her to quit praying and, and quit trusting in God is, is as irrational as it would be for a, a desert traveler to, to throw away their water jug. We need to continue our first forgotten. Is it possible that you have drifted along in mediocrity because no one has created within you a, a burning desire, a challenge to be an extraordinary Christian, to be above water Christian? The absence of a desire to be something above the ordinary will encourage a goalless, a very goalless drifting. And I call your attention to that, that poem again that reminds us of our tendency to drift. It's easy to drift with a current swift. Just lie in your boat and dream. But in nature's plan, it takes a real man to paddle the boat upstream. All of us drift to some degree, and this is dangerous. Drifting is dangerous. Some um, fishermen were, were drifting and fishing below the Gilbertson, the Gilbertson Dam in Kentucky several years ago. And while they were concentrating upon the task of, of catching fish, they failed to recognize that the currents were pulling them into a place of great danger. An official of the dam sounded a warning with a horn. And the men in the boat began frantically attempting to get, to get their motor started. The motor died. And those above the current saw an overloaded boat, an overloaded boat containing five persons go down loss of all of their lives. Drifting in a spiritual realm can be even more deadly. The unsaved can drift over the, the precipice of death and do an eternity that's unprepared to meet God. The crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ would confront us in the midst of our drifting. 
Today he would challenge us to cease our aimless and our meaningless way of life. And by his death upon the cross, and by the challenge of an exciting partnership, he would call each of us, each of us to more upward life. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, those by way of radio and television, that if we are drifting, if we're a drifting disciple, we would be exceedingly wise to rededicate our lives to begin again doing the things that not only please the Savior, but that bring delight to the inner Holy Spirit. If we are among the great host that is just drifting along, delaying the decision to come to Jesus Christ, then we should be warned today that, that drifting is both dangerous and, and, and deadly. Today we have the opportunity to decide to hear the gospel. Jesus says in his word, today is the day of salvation. Today is the decision to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. With every head bowed by way of television and by way of radio, if you would repeat this prayer with me, dear Jesus, help me to notice when I drift from you, Forgive me for my drifting. Help me to be on the straight and narrow. Forgive me of my sins, of commission, and no mission. Come into my heart and life with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Let us spend in a few moments of silent prayer as God does his business and his work in our lives. Father, we realize that times are truly changing. We ask, O oh Lord, that you remind us of Scripture that 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says that these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Remind us that 24 karat gold is nearly 100% gold with few impurities. Purities. And that, that percentage is difficult to achieve. Refiners most commonly use one of two methods for the purification process. The Miller process is the quickest and the least expensive, but the resulting gold is only 99.95% pure gold. The wool process takes a little more time and costs more, but the gold produced is 99.99% in Bible times, refiners used fire as a gold purifier. Fire caused impurities to rise to the surface for easier removal. In his first letter to the believers in Jesus throughout Asia Minor, Northern Turkey, 
The Apostle Peter used the gold refining process as a metaphor for the way trials were in the life of a believer. At that time, many believers were being persecuted by the Romans for their faith in Christ. Peter knew what that was like firsthand. But persecution, Peter explained, brings out the genuineness of our faith. Perhaps we feel today like we're in a refiner's fire, feeling the heat of setbacks and illnesses or other challenges. But hardship is often the process by which God purifies and refines the gold of our faith. That in our pain we might beg God to quickly end the process, but, but God knows what's best for us even when life hurts. Keep connected to the Savior, seeking his comfort and peace in these changing times. For what challenges have we faced that led to our spiritual growth? And how do we respond to them? Father God, help us to see how the trials of our life bring out the gold in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with me at this time, please? Join me in the offertory again before the doxology and in your bulletins. Gracious God, your hospitality has surrounded us and welcomed us. Even when we only grudgingly extended hospitality to sisters and brothers who are also holy children. May we grow each day in our willingness to be welcoming disciples, not just to those who look like us, talk like us, or think like us. May our offering this morning be received, not just in gratitude for your hospitality, but as our way to extend comfort and welcome to those for whom your love is a mystery. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Would you join me in the dance Go with God's being and blessing. Amen.